The seventh time in the last about year and a half to two years that I've taught healing school, I was moving a piano this afternoon, and uh, one of the people that was helping me said, you know, Pastor always has you teach healing school. He never lets you teach on Wednesdays. It's probably because he doesn't trust you to teach whatever you want. He only trusts you to teach healing. But it kind of backfires for Pastor Mike because I never teach on healing. When I'm teaching healing school, I teach on discipleship or or faith, or that, that one time when I talked about Jurassic Park and I got us pulled off the Facebook stream. Uh, so, so I will not have any Facebook videos or YouTube videos this week. I will not get kicked off. I was planning on talking about something related to healing, uh, but during worship, God started to uh, show me some things, and so we'll, we'll see where we go. Amen? Okay, we're going to start in Acts chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, flip to Acts chapter 10. You know, uh, I have a four-year-old son and, uh, and a baby who is too young for me to really, too young for me to teach her. But when I'm teaching my son, I can't show him a hundred verses and, and look up all these words in, in Greek and Hebrew and different languages and teach him all these deep theological truths. You have to... You have to keep things simple when you're teaching kids. But I'm encouraged. The Bible talks about when Jesus is teaching, he says you need to have faith like a child. And I think a lot of times we make things too complicated. You know, like if we're talking about healing, we have this attitude of, you know, oh, well, like healing is like so complicated and so confusing and God's just holding back healing and we need all these special secret verses no one has ever heard of to unlock God's healing. And that couldn't be further from the truth. These things aren't meant to be difficult. They're not meant to be confusing. They're not meant to be these long, drawn-out things. They're meant to be simple for us to understand. And so uh, I like to have simple principles for understanding biblical truth. You know, I, and I, I love Acts chapter 10 for that reason. Whenever I teach healing school, I always open with Acts chapter 10 because I think that it so clearly and concisely lays out God's pattern and God's feelings concerning healing. So Acts chapter 10, we're going to read verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So let me ask you a couple questions from this verse. Is healing good or is it bad? You know, some of you sounded a bit unsure. Kelly was like very confident, but the rest of you, you know, it's okay. It's okay to speak up. I know Scott Stewart's no longer here, but we can still like be excited and talk, right? Is healing good or is healing bad? I, I like it. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing. Healing is good. And how many people did he heal? Did he heal, like, the special few, the, the, the disciples and the people that, like, were at church four times a week? How many people did he heal? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all. And now, why did he need to heal them? Were they oppressed by God? Who were they oppressed by? So right there we see that sickness, number one, is oppression, and number two, comes from the devil. This idea that, you know, ooh, like God, God makes people sick to teach them lessons. God, God has some greater, greater plan behind the scenes at work. 
when you're sick. You know, God's working. God, you may not see God's big plan, but God's doing something. We don't see that in the Bible. We don't see God making people sick. In fact, the Bible calls sickness a curse. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Sickness is oppression, and that oppression, the Bible says, comes from the devil. You know, I, you know, I said I wasn't going to play a clip that was going to get us kicked off Facebook or YouTube, and I won't. But there, there's a movie that came out maybe 15 years ago, uh, the movie Signs by M. Night Shyamalan. Has anyone, has anyone seen it? Now, I know he's known for his twists, but this movie came out 15 years ago. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want me to spoil the ending, you know, the door's over there. You can cover your ears because I'm going to tell you how it ends. But the premise of this movie Signs, it has Mel Gibson. And the premise is that Mel Gibson was a pastor and his wife died. And he doesn't understand why his wife got died. Like, it makes no sense. Like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm faithful. Why would my wife die? And her last words as he died in her arm, or as she died in his arms, were, tell your brother to swing real hard. You know, her, her brother, or his brother was, a, was a, a, a minor league baseball player. And so her last words as she died were, tell your brother to swing real hard. And so this, this, that's like the, the opening of the movie. And throughout the movie, aliens show up and start to to attack the planet, and these, these aliens are ridiculous. They're strong enough that they can jump over two-story buildings, but they can't knock over doors with little, little hand locks on them. And at the very end of the movie, we find out that the aliens who are invading a planet that's like 80% water are allergic to water. And if they get touched with water, then they die. And the alien is attacking Mel Gibson and his family. And Mel Gibson's brother is standing there, and there's a baseball bat right next to him. And at that moment, Mel Gibson understands. God killed his wife so that he could tell his brother, who was a baseball player with a baseball bat, to use the bat to defeat the aliens. Think about that. That, that's, That's the big spoil of the movie. God killed a pastor's wife so that she could communicate him, communicate with him beyond the, from the grave that her, his baseball brother wielding, baseball playing brother, <laughs> I said that one right, right? Did I say it right? The brother with the baseball bat who played baseball could use the baseball bat to defeat the aliens. Now, I don't know, but if God hadn't killed his wife, I'm pretty sure Mel Gibson still could have deduced that a baseball bat might be helpful in defeating the aliens. But no, 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 no. In this movie, we see God has a bigger plan. God kills people so that they can communicate these deep, esoteric messages that make no sense. That's ridiculous. What kind of person thinks that that's how it works? M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) Yes. So M. Night Shyamalan thinks that. The Bible thinks otherwise. The Bible says that well, you go to Acts chapter 13. I'll just read this real quick. You don't have to flip there. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. We read something really interesting. I'll start in verse 1. Now, in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called uh, Niger, uh, Lucius, Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, what did the Holy Spirit do? 
Did the Holy Spirit kill someone's wife and communicate with them from beyond the grave? Did the Holy Spirit make the clouds part and there was a a plane flying through with a, a message being tailed behind it? Did God have some secret, difficult way to get his message to his people? Or did he tell them what they were supposed to do? The Holy Spirit said, we don't see in Scripture that God uses these weird circumstances that no one can understand, or sickness or death for that matter, to communicate his truth. We see that when God has something that he wants to say, he says it. He says it through the Holy Spirit, or he says it through prophets, or he says it through the Word of God. And right here we see, back in Acts chapter 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing how many people? Who were oppressed by who? For God was with him. This scripture alone, not to mention the other 170 or so healing verses in the Bible, should settle the biblical doctrine of healing. But we complicate things. We see in this verse that healing is good, that healing belongs to everyone, that sickness is oppression, and that it comes from the devil, and that God can overcome it. But I was meditating on this this afternoon, and I started to to notice some things that I've never really focused on before. And so maybe, maybe we'll just take a moment to look at some of those things, and depending on how long it takes, we'll actually get to to the notes that I wrote. How God anointed. Jesus, the one and only Son of God. Is that what it says? How God anointed Jesus, the one and only Son of God. Is that, so you can say yes or no. Is that what it says? It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, it's bringing attention to his humanity. He's saying Jesus was a man who was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with power. And as a result, these are the things that happened. These are the good things that he did. These were the people that were delivered. This was the devil who was overcome because a man yielded to the power of God. Again, we have this idea that Jesus is, is, and not to say that Jesus isn't the son of God or that Jesus isn't God, but we have this idea that a lot of the things that he did were strictly a result of him being God. And that we're these mere mortals, these mere men, and we can never hope to do the same things. But time and time again, the Bible draws attention to Jesus' humanity in discussing his life and his ministry and his miracles. I think Pastor Mike has said this. I'll I'll probably say it wrong, but I, I believe Pastor Mike has said that if you go through the New Testament, the Bible refers to Jesus as the Son of God five times, and it refers to him as the Son of Man 60 times. Overwhelmingly, the Bible reminds us, yes, Jesus is God-made flesh, but he's God-made flesh. He's flesh and blood, just like you and me. Here, go to Hebrews chapter 2. As you know, Pastor Mike thinks that Paul was the author of Hebrews. I'll I'll, I'll leave it to to people much smarter than me to decide, but either way, it's true. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like if, like if I get to heaven and God's like, no, 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 Paul didn't say it. I'm, I'm not going to rip it out of my Bible. I'm going to be like, oh, okay, someone else was smart too in the first century. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll start, we'll start in, uh, we can start in verse 11. 
For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. It's talking about Jesus not being ashamed to call humans his brothers. Saying, I will declare your name to my, uh, to my brethren in the midst of your assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children, talking about us, talking about people, inasmuch then as the people, the children, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So right there he says that inasmuch as you are a human, inasmuch as you have flesh and blood, Jesus shared in exactly the same. Because that's what was necessary for him to overcome the devil. Verse 15, and to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Look at verse 17 again. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. And how many things did he have to be made like his brethren? Terry Mize is going to be here next week. I'm sure he'll do the A-double-L, all things. In all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren. So let me ask you. Was Jesus a man? Was Jesus human? Did he have 46 chromosomes? Did, Did he have to sleep? Did he need to eat food? Was he born? Kelly is acing this test, by the way. She's, she's like the student when you're at school and, and class ends, and then hey, you forgot to collect our homework. <laughs> but the rest of you could be doing your homework, too. I'll give you a hint. The answer to most of these questions is yes. Was Jesus a man? There we go. Did Jesus have 46 chromosomes? Did he need food? Was he subject to the same temptations that we are? And yet, did he overcome them? Now, let me ask you, if Jesus was a man, does that mean that, well, let's see how I want to say this. Jesus was a man, we agree, right? Now, was he, a, was he like really a man, or was he just kind of pretending to be a man? No, I, I mean, this is a serious question. A couple of years ago in our, in our high school Bible study, we were, we were talking to one of the, the, the teenagers and we were talking about this very thing. And he goes, yeah, Jesus was a man, but, like, I mean, not really. He was just, like, pretending so he could, like, trick the devil. And, like, I think we get that idea that, like, oh, Jesus wasn't really human. He wasn't really like us because he was God. Was Jesus a man? Was Jesus tempted by the same things that we're tempted by? Did he overcome? Now, if Jesus was a man anointed with power and with the Holy Spirit to do good, and to heal all who were oppressed of the devil. And if God was with him, where does that put us? Are you a man or a woman? Are you human? Is God with you? Have you been anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power? What's this? Let's see if I can even remember what verse I want to go to. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. 
Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 is an incredible chapter, by the way. It's <laughs> Jesus, it, just, to, just I'll, I'll summarize what takes place, but Jesus has risen from the dead, and no one knows that he's risen from the dead. And he's walking down the street, and he sees two of his disciples. And he walks up to them, and he starts talking to them, and they don't recognize him. And so rather than say, hey, guys, don't you recognize me? I'm Jesus. He has an entire conversation pretending that he doesn't know who Jesus is and lets them go like, yeah, we thought Jesus was the Messiah, but then he died, and we don't know. And then he's like, well, you know, I'm just kind of a stranger around here, but let me tell you what the Old Testament says. And he preaches a sermon to them. They get to the house, uh, and Jesus goes, they still don't know it's him, and Jesus goes, okay, I'll, I'll see you guys later. I have to go. And he starts to walk away, and they go, no, 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 join us for dinner. And they come in, they break bread, and the moment they take bread, the two disciples recognize him. And they're like, oh, my gosh, it's Jesus. And then Jesus poof, disappears. And then it says that they ran seven miles all the way back to Jerusalem, where the other disciples were. Uh, and they go, you guys will not believe what just happened. We saw Jesus, and he was pretending that he wasn't Jesus. And, and then we were telling him all these things, and he taught us these things. And then when we ate the bread, he just poof, disappeared. And then we ran here to tell you. And then Jesus, poof appears in the room and says, peace, guys. And then they all freak out. <laughs> and so that, that's all just taking place. And then Jesus starts talking. Verse 44. And then Jesus said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Now, the Old Testament really covers a lot about Jesus. And Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send my promise, or sorry, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 2, I know these are verses that you're familiar with. In Acts chapter 2, we read in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What we're seeing right here is the fulfillment of what was spoken about in Luke 24, that they would be endowed with power from the promise of the Father, endowed with power from on high. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. It's the same exact thing it's talking about with Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, this man, this human, he anointed a human vessel with the Holy Spirit and with power. And as a result of that anointing, as a result of that power that was flowing through his veins, he went out and he did good. He did all sorts of good. One way in particular was by healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Is God with you? Have you ever, I, I don't know if you remember back, back to your high school days. I know it's been like 15 years for me, and you guys are all about my age, so it's probably been about 15 years for the rest of you too. 
But you can remember back to high school where, where you're taking a test and they keep asking like the same question in different ways. So I have to, I have to apologize because I keep asking you the same question again in, in really the same exact way. But if we can understand these, this short list of questions, if we can understand this short list of biblical truths and we can truly apply it to our lives and let it be nested down in our hearts, it can transform the way that we live. God anointed Jesus the man, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he's anointed every single one of you with the Holy Spirit and with power if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. God was with him. God was with him. Look at, this is John chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. John chapter 14. On on Friday, I was talking to one of the youth, and he was like, so, what's new with you? And... I was like, oh, like, like, not much. He was like, oh, like, tell me, tell me something cool about the Bible. And I'm like, well, like, what, what do you want to know? And he's like, oh, my gosh, like anything, you know? And I'm like, we have to be more specific. And, like, I think that he sensed that, like, I wasn't really, like, I don't know, in the mood to, like, talk about something. But he just kind of, like, kept poking me and asking questions. And I was like, oh, well, like, well, like there's this thing. And I started talking, and then I started ranting, and then I just kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. Because these things, they get nestled down in your heart. And when you start talking about him, you can't. And so I don't even know why I have these notes because we're not really going to be using those tonight, apparently. I, I, I'm not Terry Mize. I can't keep you guys here till 9. Uh, so I'll get you out of here on time. John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father. Gosh, how, how many Christians in our country have to skip over that verse because it doesn't mesh with everything that they've been told they're supposed to believe? The works that Jesus does, you will do also, and greater works than these. Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, say anything, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And we usually stop at verse 14. We read verse 12 and we're like, ooh, I could do greater things. This is awesome. And then we get to verse 13. Ooh, whatever I ask, he's he's gonna do for me. That's cool. Verse 14, he says it again. Anything that I ask, he's gonna do for me. That is spectacular. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Oh. Now, now, we're, now we're being told to do something. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, we, people, people talk about love a lot. And I think, like most things, the world has a skewed understanding of love. And I think it's easy for us to think the way that the world tells us to think. We, we, we start to, to view things the way that everyone else does and, and the way that the world does and the way that it's just easy to get into that, that attitude of like, ooh, love. You know, love is, love is like being all bubbly, being nice and being cuddly and like, ooh, like you could, like you could, never, you could never tell someone something 
You can't do that. That's, that's not love. You can't do that. That's not love. God is love. And so whatever you're going to do, you need to be loving and everything. Like, my, my purpose is not to talk about politics, and so I will not talk about politics. But let's say that some political issue comes up, like, like the government's like, are we going to allow people to have ice cream? Like, yes or no? Which, I'm trying to be political, but I know that New York tried to take away sodas, so maybe, maybe they're going to take away ice cream too. But like, someone will be like, oh, you know, like the, the, the big political issue that we're all outraged about, should the government regulate ice cream? And then you might have someone that's like, well, I think they shouldn't. And then someone else will be like, ooh, that's judgmental. You go, oh, well, like, well, what's your policy? And they'll say, well, my policy is love. My po- I, I, I love, I love when, when people say that when we're talking about political issues. My policy is love. And you say, okay, so, so you're saying that we should regulate ice cream. And they go, oh, I would never say that. I just say that we should be loving. So you're saying that we shouldn't regulate it. I, I'm, my policy is love. I think that we should just love. And that word love means nothing other than I just think whatever I believe. And I think you should be okay with believing whatever I believe. And it has nothing to do with actual biblical love. It's just this word that we throw around to make us feel better. What does Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Something that I think is striking is the Bible does say God is love. But the Bible does not say God is love in Genesis chapter 1. You do not open the Bible and the very first page says, guess what, God is love. You don't read that God is love until you're like 1,186 chapters into a 1,189 chapter book. You're like practically on the last page when God says, I am love. What does that mean? That means that everything you've read about God's character through the book of Genesis and through the book of Exodus when he's delivering his people from bondage and through the book of Leviticus when he's giving his people the law and through the book of of Joshua when he's commanding his people to go in and take the promised land and through the book of Psalms and through the book of Proverbs and through the prophets and through Jesus' ministry and through the book of Acts and through the epistles and through all of these books, you're seeing in action what love looks like. You're seeing what love looks like according to God. And then the Bible says on practically the last page, now all that stuff you've seen God do, that's love. And you're to do those things. If you love me, keep my commandments. It doesn't say if you love me, have warm, fuzzy feelings. It doesn't say if you love me, then share and retweet this post six times and then you'll have good luck for a week. It says if you love me, keep my commandments. And for those who love God, Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. How long is he going to abide with you? How long? Similar to what we read in in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For why? For God was with him. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper, and he will be with you always. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He will abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. 
Now that word helper, I, I, I know that, you know, if you've ever done word studies, this is like the first word that you do a word study on. It's the, the Greek word paraclete. Uh, and I, I even wrote down the definition here. Helper, comforter, counselor, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. I will send you another helper. I will send you another comforter. I will send you another counselor, another intercessor. I will send you another advocate. I will send you another strengthener. And that word appears five times in the New Testament. Four times it appears in this sermon by Jesus, referring to the Holy Spirit. And the final time is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what does that tell us? We have two helpers. Which makes sense if you read John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I will pray the Father and he will send you another helper. So we have a helper, an advocate in Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father. And we have an advocate, a helper, who is with us, who will abide with us always and forever. Have you guys ever seen the movie Back to the Future? At the very end of the movie, Doc Brown is trying to plug in like the cord that's going to be struck by lightning so he can power up the car. If you've never seen this movie and you have no idea what I'm talking about, he's trying to plug something into a wall. And right before the, 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 the moment when all this is going down, a tree branch falls and it unplugs one end of the, of the plug. So like it was plugged in over here and over here. This side gets unplugged. And now he has to plug it in in like 10 seconds. So he rushes to the top of the building, and he plugs in this side, and guess what happens to this side? It gets unplugged. So then he has to go back down, and he has to plug this side in. And the whole thing is him trying to keep both sides plugged in at the same time. Now, if he had a helper, he could be up here keeping this side plugged in, and then his helper could be down here keeping this side plugged in. And there'd be no disconnection, right? And that's what the Bible says we have. The Bible says that we have Jesus up in heaven keeping us plugged into the Father. And then down here on the earth, we have the Holy Spirit with us always and forever keeping us plugged into the Father. In fact, throughout the Bible, over and over and over again, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit abiding with us forever is our guarantee that we will never be forsaken that we will never be separated from the Father, that we are with him always. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we will always be plugged in with the Father. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we will always be plugged in with the Father. We're plugged in on top. We're plugged in down here on the earth. There's no becoming separated from the Father's love. And what does the Bible tell us in John chapter 14, verse 12? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do. Why? Because Jesus is going to the Father.
The reason that Jesus is with the Father is because his job is to keep us plugged in up there. He sent the Holy Spirit down here to keep us plugged in. And this whole thing that it's talking about, us doing greater works, like notice, notice how it says it. The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. The whole reason that that promise is made available to us is because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, keeping us plugged in. Is it true that Jesus is plugged in at the right, or that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father? Is it true that the Holy Spirit will abide with us always and forever? then is it true that most assuredly Jesus said to us, you will do the same works that he did? And is it true that the Bible says most assuredly that greater works than these will you do? Do we believe that? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, this human man with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good. Who here does good? Who here is called to do good? Who here is capable of doing good? Who here is anointed by the Father to do good? Who here has been endowed with power from the Holy Spirit on high to do good? To do good and to heal all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We see stress throughout the Bible that Jesus was made human. He took on flesh and blood, inasmuch then that you have taken on flesh and blood. Jesus became just like you, that he might overcome the devil. So Jesus was divine, and yet he became human for our sakes. So where does that put us? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. What's been given to us? Exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be made partakers of the divine nature. Partaker, if you don't know what that means, it means partners. In fact, in, I believe it's, Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, that word is used to describe uh, us being adopted into God's family and children of the Father, just like Jesus is. You have been made a partaker of what nature? The divine nature. Do you understand? And and look, look what it says. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, we know in Genesis chapter 3, the world was plunged into sin, that Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit, that sin fell upon mankind and upon the earth, Uh, order was turned to disorder, beauty was turned to chaos, and the world has been corrupt since then. 
And yet the Bible says that God promises us his exceedingly great and precious promises, uh, his exceedingly great and precious promises to us have made us become partners, partakers of God's nature. It's not just that Jesus was God who became man as well. But in that very act, in Jesus becoming man for your sakes, you, a mortal human, became divine just like him. You guys got to work with me on this. Like, I've seen, I, I keep talking about movies. At the end of the cartoon Hercules, Hercules, like, finally becomes a god, and everyone's like, oh, that's so cool, and they all cheer. The Bible announces that you have become a partner in God's divine nature, that you have been made divine. Is that something to rejoice about? Inasmuch then, oh, is that, I'm in the wrong verse. Uh, By which we have been given uh, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you have become, you may be partakers of God's nature, God's divine nature, escaping the world, or escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. Think about that for a moment. You have God's divinity within you. You are a partner in his divine nature. Every single one of you. So if there was any doubt, if there was any doubt whether or not healing is reserved for God, even though the Bible stresses that through Jesus' humanity, he was still able to walk in the promises and heal the sick. We see that we have become partners in his divine nature. And what's the result of becoming a partaker in God's divine nature? You escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Who here has escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Who here has been giving exceedingly great and precious promises to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust? Mm-hmm. I like it. Maybe that's why Paul tells us in Acts chapter 3 to stop behaving like mere men. You know, we, we read that, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 or 6. And he's, he's correcting the church for behaving like mere men. But it's really interesting, that word mere is in italics, meaning that it was added by the translators to bring more clarity to the verse. Is it up here? Oh, no, it's not. That's okay. He tells us to stop acting like mere men, but that word mere was added by the translators because they thought it would bring clarity. What's that mean? Paul doesn't say, stop acting like mere men. He says, stop acting like men. Stop acting like humans. Stop acting like people. You're not, that's not you anymore. You're not, you're not some mere mortal. You're not just some person walking around trying to get by. You have God's divine nature flowing through your veins. So why don't you act like it? We have promises that we can escape the corruption that is in this world. Why do so many of us get bogged down with that?
Can I, can I tell you guys a little secret? Dianne Feinstein's not your enemy. Brett Kavanaugh's not your enemy. Whatever political persuasion that you believe, they're not the bad guys. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and might and dominion. I started laughing during Beth's announcement because she was like, Facebook is good, but, but church is better. And I'm like, what Facebook are you using? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I, was on, I was on a vacation with my wonderful family. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, was on my, I was on my vacation, and things were, things were so great. And then I was like, I'm going to check Facebook. Now, that'll ruin a vacation. You, you see all this stuff that's happening in the world, and, 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 you, and you get bogged down, like, ooh. And, and, then, and then, you know, I, I always, Chip always, always busts my chops. Like, what, like, you know, like people say, what would Jesus do? When I'm on Facebook, it's like, what would Chip do? Chip would not post. Chip would not comment. Chip would turn it off and go, like, read the Bible or pray in tongues or something. Because you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man, this person that has never for a moment in their whole life expressed the ability to use reason, maybe I should comment on their Facebook post. That'll, that'll bring them to the truth. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against liberals or conservatives on Facebook. We, we wrestle not against Mark Zuckerberg. We wrestle against principalities and powers and might and dominion. We wrestle against the corruption that is in this world through lust. But the Bible says we can escape. Here, I'll finish with this. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, how many of you have hope in his calling? Amen. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and in the saints? What's his inheritance in? Who are the saints? Do you know that God, like, like we, we think that we have an inheritance in God. And that's true. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. But right here we read that God has an inheritance in you. And he prays that you would know what that is. It's not just an inheritance. It's a glorious inheritance. It's not just a glorious inheritance. That you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. I just, I, I love 
I love how Paul uses these words. It's not just that there's power in you. It's a great power. It's not just a great power. It is an exceedingly great power. According to the working of his mighty power. In other words, his exceedingly great power works in you. And he prays that you would know. That same power, verse 20, which, raised, uh, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, slightly above principality and power and might and dominion. Oh, oh is, that, is that what it said? Oh, here. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> My bad. The power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Those things that we wrestle against, Jesus is far above them. That corruption that is in the world through lust, Jesus is far above it. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. That means things that haven't even been named yet. Things that haven't been discovered. Things that we don't even know about. He's far above. If you're in this room and you have the sniffles, God's power is far above it. It has a name. If you're in this room and you have cancer, God's power is far above it. It has a name. You're in here and you went to the doctor and they say, we've never seen this before. We don't even know what to call it. The Bible says his power is far above it. If it has been named, if it hasn't been named, if it's not going to be discovered for 100 years, the Bible says that God's power, which works in Christ, is far above it. Amen. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So not only is God far above it, not only is Jesus of Nazareth, the human who was anointed with power and the Holy Spirit, not only is he above it, but the church is above it. And I love this. He says, he put all things under his feet, but that word things is in italics. It means that that word's not there. He didn't put all things. He put all. If it's a thing or if it's not a thing. If it's a place, you're above it. If it's a disease, you're above it. If it's a, a person, you're above it. If it's a name, you're above it. If it's a thing, whatever it is, you are far above it when you are united with Christ and partaking in his divine nature. He put all under his feet and gave him to be head over all to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I just like, how many times can you put the word all in one sentence? Jesus is all. Jesus has overcome all. Jesus fills all. Jesus intrudes all. Jesus can go all places. There is nothing that can stop him because he is always, at all times, everywhere. And he is in you. Nothing can stop the power of God working in your life except you. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, says that we may be partakers 
that he has given us promises to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And yet so much of the church doesn't. And it's because they're willfully ignorant of what God has spoken. Do we believe that Jesus is all? Do we believe that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power? Do we believe that Jesus was anointed to do good? Do we believe that Jesus was anointed to heal all? Do we believe that sickness is oppression? Do we believe that that oppression comes from the devil? Do we believe that God can overcome that oppression? And do we believe that in the same way, likewise, as Jesus was made to partake in flesh and blood, that we have been made to partake in divinity? Do we believe that if we have God's divine nature flowing through our veins, we have been anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power? You guys are less motivated than you were when I was talking about Jesus. When I was saying, do you believe that Jesus can do all these things? You guys were like, yes! And then when I said, do you believe that you can do it? You were like, I don't know if you would believe it less or if you're just tired of saying yes. <laughs> but, I, but we're about to dismiss, so I promise you, there's only going to be like 50 more yeses, okay? Do you, ha- do you have 50 more yeses? Do you believe that you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that you have been anointed and endowed with power from on high? Do you believe that you have been commissioned to do good? Do you believe that you have been commissioned to heal all who are oppressed? Do you believe that oppression comes from the devil? And do you believe that God is with you? Then what's the problem? There is no problem. If there was a problem and we could give it a name, we'd be above it. And if we couldn't think of a name, we'd still be above it. God covered all his bases. So it falls on us. I know I said I was going to finish in Ephesians 1, but I'm going to pull up in my notes and just look up one more verse. Luke chapter 9. We'll finish here. On a side note, you want to know something that will get you pumped up? You just find, like, a good scripture... And then you just force yourself to do what I just did to you and just, like, shout that it's true. Just go home, you know, like, turn on the music loud so no one can hear you. And, just be, and then like, just, just pick a Bible verse. Be like, did God send his only begotten son? Yes. Does he love me? Yes. Just, just confess God's word over you. Sometimes, you know, people say a lot of words. What's it, like, 15,000 words people say on a daily basis? How many of those words are garbage words? How many of those words are unnecessary? Yeah. Ephesians 4, Beth is saying yes. Ephesians 4, 28 tells us that we should not use unnecessary words. We should use words that are, that are useful for godly edification, that they may impart grace to the hearers. We should use our words wisely. Wake up in the morning, pop open your Bible, and just read the Bible out loud. Wake up when no one's around. Let the, fir- like, let the first five minutes of your day be you speaking God's word and nothing else. Have that be the pattern of your life. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Here's the coolest part, verse 6. So they departed and went through the towns 
preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I think it's easy to read in the Bible that God tells us to do things. God tells us to preach the gospel. God tells us to heal the sick. But the Bible tells us that when we do those things, we get results. The disciples were faithful. They loved Jesus, so they kept his commandments. They departed just as he told them. They went through the towns just as he told them. They preached the gospel just as he told them. And they healed everywhere just as he told them. Why doesn't everyone stand up? I am really good at being a knower of the word. It's easy to be a knower of the word. But we're not called to be knowers of the word. We're called to be doers of the word. In fact, the Bible says it's dangerous to be a knower of the word. If you know the word, if you hear the word, but you don't do the word, the Bible says that you forget who you are. And so with all these things, like we, we come to this church and we hear all these great things. We hear this truth, and we know this truth, but this truth means nothing if we don't act upon it. And so why don't we start in our homes? First and foremost, you were called to disciple your families. Before I need to be concerned about discipling hundreds of people, I need to disciple my children, and I need to disciple my wife, and I need to disciple my friends. So don't be a mere man in your relationships. Be a partaker in God's divine nature. Be a doer of his word. Live in all areas, not just healing, in all areas. Live his word, do his word, keep his commandments. Be faithful to him. and you'll get the results. If you need healing, be faithful to him. Be faithful to his word. Be a doer and not a hearer only. And if you're faithful to him, he's more than faithful to you. God, you are so good. You are so incredible. You are so mighty. You are so majestic. You are so worthy of all of our praise. We love you so much. We love you for who you are. And we love you for what you've done and what you continue to do. But we also recognize that just as you are, so are we in this world. We are humans that partake in God's divine nature. We also recognize that just as you did things and continue to do things on the earth, so we can do the same works 
and greater works than these because you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And so just as Beth was talking about at the beginning, we come to you with expectation. We expect you to work wonders in our lives. We expect to see your life and your spirit poured out everywhere we go. We expect signs and wonders to happen in our households. We expect signs and wonders to happen in our workplaces. We expect signs and wonders to happen wherever we go. Because we are faithful to keep your commandments and to do what you have called us to do. Hallelujah. You are so good. You are so good, God. You are so incredibly good. You are so good, God. And it is a privilege to be a part of your kingdom. To be called sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. What an honor, God. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, God. You are so incredible. Hallelujah. 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 God, you are good. God, you are good. Say it with me. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Like Beth said at the beginning, Chip will be here on Wednesday. Terry Mize will be here next Sunday. So there's lots of stuff you're not going to want to miss. Have a great week. Be blessed, and walk in the divine nature. Amen? Amen? Cool. You guys are dismissed. It's easy to be a knower of the word, but we're not called to be knowers of the word. We're called to be doers of the word. In fact, the Bible says it's dangerous to be a knower of the word. If you know the word, if you hear the word, but you don't do the word, the Bible says that you forget who you are. And so with all these things, like we we come to this church and we hear all these great things. We hear this truth and we know this truth. But this truth means nothing if we don't act upon it. And so why don't we start in our homes? First and foremost, you were called to disciple your families. Before I need to be concerned about discipling hundreds of people, I need to disciple my children. And I need to disciple my wife. And I need to disciple my friends. So don't be a mere man in your relationships. Be a partaker in God's divine nature. Be a doer of his word. Live in all areas, not just healing, in all areas. Live his word, do his word, keep his commandments. Be faithful to him.
and you'll get the results. If you need healing, be faithful to him. Be faithful to his word. Be a doer and not a hearer only. And if you're faithful to him, he's more than faithful to you. God, you are so good. You are so incredible. You are so mighty. You are so majestic. You are so worthy of all of our praise. We love you so much. We love you for who you are. And we love you for what you've done and what you continue to do. But we also recognize that just as you are, so are we in this world. We are humans that partake in God's divine nature. We also recognize that just as you did things and continue to do things on the earth, so we can do the same works and greater works than these because you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And so just as Beth was talking about at the beginning, we come to you with expectation. We expect you to work wonders in our lives. We expect to see your life and your spirit poured out everywhere we go. We expect signs and wonders to happen in our households. We expect signs and wonders to happen in our workplaces. We expect signs and wonders to happen wherever we go. Because we are faithful to keep your commandments and to do what you have called us to do. Hallelujah, you are so good. You are so good, God. You are so incredibly good. You are so good, God. And it is a privilege to be a part of your kingdom, to be called sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. What an honor, God. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, God. You are so incredible. Hallelujah. 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 God, you are good. God, you are good. Say it with me. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Like Beth said at the beginning, Chip will be here on Wednesday. Terry Mize will be here next Sunday. So there's lots of stuff you're not going to want to miss. Uh, have a great week. Be blessed. And walk in the divine nature. Amen? Amen? Cool. You guys are dismissed.